You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome in, folks, here at the start of your week on Big Blue View's audio lineup. I'm Joe Delium, joined by Chris Flum to break down the film from the New York Giants loss to the Washington football team. We've had a few days to process this loss, one that could have provided a sense of optimism for the Giants winning a close football game, but instead allows us to be... Um, a bit pessimistic on this Monday when we're recording. And I think a lot of Giants fans right now, it, it feels like the world is crashing down on us. It feels like that this is yet another rough start to a season and it could be downhill from near the downhill from here. The Giants do need to regather as they're going to be playing the Falcons next game. Before we can transition to that, though, you obviously need to take a look at the film. No Nick today. Ed decided to steal him from us uh, last second. <laughs> literally, literally last second. So, <laughs> yeah, literally. So, if you want to hear Nick's opinions on things, you can listen to Ed's show, which I, I think might be dropping the same day. But, Chris, this game, the, the more I go back and look at it, the, the one thing that I, I took away, and uh, we can get into some of the other overarching points before we go offense and defensive specific. I just felt that this is a game that I really don't fully understand how the Giants lost. And I said this on the post-game live stream. It, it just confuses the hell out of me because we the Giants had all the momentum in key parts of the game. And it just felt throughout bits and pieces of it, every time they had momentum, they found a very aggressive way to swing the momentum back in Washington's favor. So here we are yet again, uh, 0-2 and trying to make sense of what just happened yeah yeah I, I i said it when we were talking before we started recording and you know i talked to a, a washington fan over the weekend and my basic feeling with the, with this game is that this was a game where both teams deserve to win and both teams also deserved to lose this game yeah it really came down to i think whichever team screwed up last was the one that was going to lose the game. And it looked like that team was going to be Washington when Taylor Heineke threw that late interception. You know, he didn't see Tate Crowder flash in front of his receiver. James Bradbury stepped right in front of Terry McLaurin, picked off the ball. Yeah, that should have been it. That should have sealed the game. But then the Giants, for some reason, elected to throw a pass, uh, basically didn't run the clock down as far as they could and gave Washington the ball back with the two-minute warning or right after the two-minute warning. And then, you know, it was a second and one. They were outside of field goal range and Giants get, have a dumb penalty, offsides penalty, fresh set of downs, Move the move the ball that much closer to the 
uprights. And then we all saw the Dexter Lawrence penalty. Now, he says he di- he doesn't think he was offsides, but you could you could see him move. And I don't think there was enough to overturn the call. And frankly, right now, it doesn't matter anyway. So this was one where the Giants, frankly, just stole defeat from the Steelers of victory. So the, the penalties in this game, I think, were, were very prevalent. But Chris, I, I actually need to go on a quick rant. Oh, on go ahead. Sides call. So rant I, away. I, I, I tweeted about this. And the one thing that I've always consistently prided myself on in, in any level of football that I've covered, NFL Draft, Giants, and also the college football stuff that I do, in understanding the intricacies of, of long snappers and how they impact the game. So Cam Cheeseman, I think is his name, the, the, the rookie snapper, there's a tendency for young snappers and also bad long snappers, and I have did it at one point in my career too, and it's honestly mind-blowing to me how this guy has a job in the NFL, but bad snappers will pick up the football before they snap it. That is what we refer to as a hitch. And if you pick up the ball before you snap it, that initiates the start of the snap. The reason why that that's bad is opposing teams can time up the snap. Instead of going directly back with the football and the ball getting to the holder or the punter immediately, which is impossible to time up, if the ball comes up and then back, it gives defenders a second to recognize that the ball is being snapped before it's actually being snapped. So in this instance... Dexter Lawrence did his film study, and he also paid attention throughout the entirety of the game. There is a front-angle shot of the clip showing Cheeseman picking the ball up, Dexter Lawrence moving, then him snapping the football. I still stand by the fact that I think this was not an offsides penalty for that specific reason. And honestly, the officials should know that. They should know that snappers that do this are going to cause guys to jump. And I have actually... I have had a, a, one specific game in my career where I had an official actually say to me, I need to stop picking the football up. Otherwise, he was going to call a snap infraction penalty on me. So uh, I think it's total BS. I think that the fact that the NFL backed the officials is total BS. And I, I think that this ultimately should have been an offsides call. Hindsight is twenty twenty, but re- regardless, from a long snapper's perspective, that was not an offsides penalty. And, and that is some really great insight. And I think one reason why folks should listen to this podcast, because I haven't heard <laughs> that anywhere else. I haven't seen any any other uh, outlet pick up that note. So, you know, thank you very much for that. But, you know, th- this really does feel almost like, you know, thinking back a ways, the Matt Dodge game against Philadelphia, where that was, again, that was a game the Giants absolutely should have won. They had that in the bag. And then it was just one special teams play at the very end of the game. And things never should have gotten to that point. Like this game should not have come down to whether or not an official saw the long snapper hitch the ball and throw the flag for an offsides. Yeah. The giants were in too much control for this to get to that point. And frankly, they shouldn't have allowed Washington to get into field goal range in the first place. They had too many opportunities. And I think we'll get into this after our commercial break when we start doing our the defensive side of the ball. But they had too many opportunities to stop them, to stop Washington well outside of field goal range. Right. And Chris, why don't we get right into talking about some of these offensive takeaways so we don't dwell too much on, I think, stuff that we 
highlighted pretty effectively in the post game show. But the first thing that you put in here, I think, is is so critical to take a look back and think of, of all of the the impacts of it. Losing Nick Gates is is terrible. So we we have before the game, we find out that Gates is playing guard instead of center, and Billy Price is playing center. We're kind of confused by it. I think a lot of people are like, okay, I guess it makes sense. You, you wasted all this time teaching the guy to snap. He becomes really good at it and has progressed towards being one of the better centers, possibly in the NFC, maybe even in the NFL. Not one of the best, but you could argue that he's in the top half based on how he's looked in some of these games, especially the first game. Moves to guard, has a seriously gruesome leg injury, and he has already had surgeries. Practically, I don't even think there's any chance that he comes back for the remainder of the season. This is this just sucks, though, because right now the Giants, uh, their offensive line, the identity is really not there. Andrew Thomas has looked pretty good, but the remaining pieces have been fairly inconsistent against two very good defensive lines. I am honestly worried now that the one other guy that was doing well and starting to look good is not going to be available for the rest of the year. Instead, there are probably going to be two guys that were recently added to the team right at the end of preseason and training camp because of trades and the and the rest of the crew and guys that we're not really big fans of, particularly Nate Solder. I, I think that we were already concerned, and I think now we might be still more concerned because of this injury. Yeah, and I think the other thing that is concerning to me, not just the starters where you know teams generally don't deal away offensive linemen they are super confident in. And if you are getting an offensive lineman just before the start of the season, either the team they had radically underestimated their abilities or you're paying through the nose for them and yeah it's possible the Giants got a steal with Billy Billy Price and Ben Bredesen or it's possible they basically rated two teams depth and they're playing depth players as starters now but the thing that worries me is the depth on the Giants own offensive line you know what happens now if there is one more injury and it doesn't even have to be a season ending injury. What if a guy just sprains an ankle and has to go out for the remainder of a game or misses a week or two? Yeah. That's when things start to really get scary. And we have seen this offense and this, this offensive line when they start scraping the bottom of the depth chart. And that's a team or that's a thing. No team ever wants to see because teams have a hard enough time finding five starters let alone getting down to seven or eight in line and having to rely on those guys to to really stand up and stand up to defensive lines and the Giants are not done facing good defensive lines no they're they're certainly not and they're going to have some really difficult matchups especially the remaining stretch of of NFC East opponents as we know the NFC East has some very good defensive linemen that they're going to have to deal with. Things are only going to get more and more difficult. So, Chris, uh, another thing too, and you kind of already just dove into this, There, I think there are some legitimate questions here for the offensive line depth that we see, and, and it makes a ton of sense as you just spoke on the fact that they were able to trade for those guys for, for really not a lot of picks is a pretty clear indication that they're probably not the best available options. They're probably the best of what they could get, but they're not necessarily... These guys are not starters 
deemed by other teams. They are forced to start because the Giants are thin on guys, and we saw instances with these guys stepping in that they were struggling. And we talked about it on the post-game show. There, there were instances where guys were coming untouched up the middle, were clearly you know, sweeping through blocks. Jonathan Allen had a really good performance because of this, because nobody could freaking block him. So the interior was already struggling, and now I think there is even more cause for concern because of those two spots of Billy Price and Ben Bredesen. Yeah, and you also have to wonder about what effect that will have on the left and right tackles. You know, we've seen Andrew Thomas, when he, when he is struggling, it's because he isn't sure about that inside rushing lane where he will either give up an outside path because he's too concerned about protecting that inside foot, that inside shoulder, or he'll get overly concerned about protecting his outside shoulder, that outside edge route to the quarterback, and then give up the move inside through the B gap. And you know, if he doesn't trust Ben Bredesen, you know, what will that do to Andrew Thomas's play? And then what will that do to the rest of the offense as a whole? You know, the, the Giants are still struggling to run the ball. And we saw Jason Garrett have to make some schematic changes to the offense to just account for the amount of pressure leaking through that offensive line. Yeah, the offensive line we could probably talk about for hours and we'll probably end up talking about them, you know, consistently throughout this season because of the the concerns. Uh, Chris, I'm curious by your next point here. So you indicated that Jason Garrett was scheming around pressure better than we've seen in this game. And this was a, a understandably not the quickest game for Daniel Jones getting the football out, but it felt like he was getting it out much quicker than usual, especially in, in crucial parts of this game because he was facing pressure and they didn't really have time to play around with him dropping back evaluating the field only to get popped. A lot of the passes in this game were fairly quick. They were trying to get the ball out super, super efficiently. That did kind of hinder their ability to stretch the field, I think, on a lot of plays. And the times that they did try to stretch the field, it didn't necessarily work. But I guess it was a little bit more effective. Yeah. You know, the One of the things I noticed was how much uh, Jason Garrett went to uh, timing plays, you know, one or two reads, uh, then a check down. Or he went with RPOs, a lot more play action, which I think kind of accounted for the little bit higher time to throw than than we saw in week one. Uh, Play action, it's just a little bit longer developing. And also we saw the design quarterback runs and read option plays. And those things are good for slowing down a pass rush. In fact, there are things we've both been been calling for for uh, years now. So it was nice to see Jason Garrett finally incorporate all of those things. And it really did kind of simplify the game for Daniel Jones. You know, you, they didn't have to ask him to uh, take five-step drops, survey the field, uh, look off the safety, hold a linebacker, and then deliver a strike to a receiver 20 yards downfield. It was a much quicker uh, operation. And I think that really did play to Jones's strengths. And also, you know, the, the effect of him running the ball that got the giants that got them moving and it kind of got their offense out of a few jams. Yeah. And, and that also, I just would like to throw this out there as anytime that we praise 
Jason Garrett, I just I have to say that does not absolve him from criticism. <laughs> oh no, no, <laughs> not by any means. <laughs> yeah, I, I know you agree with me on that, but definitely uh, still Jason Garrett. I think might be on the has the hottest seat out of any NFC or NFL offensive coordinator in the NFL right now, based on the lack of production from a offense that has a, a ton of weapons. Um, I guess we're gonna head on over to talking defense now uh hitting on some key takeaways for this giants defense before we do though we're just going to take a really short commercial break vacations can be tricky you already know how to book flights and hotels but now the only thing you're missing is you know the actual travel experience because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home you need a tool to get the most out of your time away That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. So Chris, you want to talk about first here a very specific instance, that second drive that you felt that they didn't necessarily challenge Washington. Uh, I think there are also some other drives throughout this game where it felt like they were playing reactionary rather than aggressive, which this defense is known to do. But what caught your eye about that second drive specifically? Uh, actually, I probably could have phrased it a little bit better in the show notes, but it was after Washington's second drive where okay. the Giants were pretty aggressive and physical on Washington's first two drives. Right. But after that, it was their third drive, you know, at the end of the first quarter and then through the beginning of the second quarter. You know, we saw this kind of shift in how the Giants were playing defense. They weren't loading the box 
as much as they were the first the first two drives. They were playing a lot more off and zone coverages. You know, they they even highlighted it on the broadcast. These big bubbles of open space, you know, underneath the secondary, uh, in the middle of the field between the safeties and the linebackers. And Washington recognized those right away. And there were just too many easy yards to be had. And, you know, very specifically, I want to talk about the the way the Giants played third and fourth and short yardage situations. Uh, you know, we all saw that picture of the uh, J.D. McKissick's touchdown run where the Giants had seven guys on one side of the offensive formation and four on the other. And it was like, you know, they basically just showed Washington where to run the ball. And it was absolutely no problem to wall off the majority of the Giants defenders. Uh, Charles Leno, all he had to do was block Aziz Ojolari. He was the only front seven player on the play side. And McKissick basically just moonwalked into the end zone. Uh, then on the fourth and one at the end of the game, it, it wasn't even one yard. It was fourth and inches. The Giants had a five-man box. And it was it was obvious Washington was going to run the ball, especially when you're showing five guys to block five guys. And Washington had absolutely no problems getting a push against the Giants' defensive line. And I... I don't recall who was the running back, but they had, again, no problems converting that for, converting that fourth down, picking up the first down. And again, on the maybe they were sitting back hoping Washington Taylor Heineke would make mistakes, or they wanted to play downhill to limit yards after catch. But we again saw so many off and zone coverages and. It was just too easy for Heineke to find answers to the Giants' coverages. Right. That was what was super bizarre, and I kind of led into this before realizing what your your point was. You you saw in the in the beginning of the the game uh, a relentless pursuit going after Taylor Heineke, as you would expect going against a guy who was a backup XFL quarterback. Um, a guy that I think if, if they kept at going after him, they could have rattled him pretty easily. They got home with that Aziz Ojolari sack. Like that level of quarterback pressuring that they had in the beginning of the game on those first two drives was probably the best that we've seen in a long time. I'm not over not trying to over-exaggerate too much there, but it looked very good with the, what the approach was. But for whatever reason, they went away from that, and then they then allowed a guy who just needed some quick, who has relatively quick processing, just a little bit of time to react. And in this off coverage that he was facing, was able to get the ball out super, super quick. That to me does not make any sense why they made that that random transition. I, I, I felt like the defensive play calling just was stagnant and they didn't react and alter what they were doing. It was clear that they weren't going to get at Heineke with their regular rush. So I don't understand why they didn't try to commit to doing that more throughout the game and it felt like the instances that they did do it it was too late based on the yards that they were giving up on some of these drives and that leads into I think that the other point Chris that you you wanted to acknowledge here at the end of our show 
is that they really, really had a hard time covering those quick throws. It's almost as if they were anticipating Washington to kill them over the top, but all they do, all they were doing was hitting these super quick hit routes that were picking up chunk after chunk and first down after first down, and there was no adjustment made to react to that. And that is a big reason why towards the end of the game, in the, in the spots where they needed to get stops, they were not getting them. Yeah, no, not at all, really. And yeah, it was this was something Nick brought up in week one. Even when the Giants were running man coverage, uh, they struggled to keep up with receivers when the receivers were basically playing with really good tempo and really good timing where the receiver and the quarterback were synced up. Quarterback would hit his back foot, hit the top of his drop. The ball would come out. The receiver would hit the the top of his route and break back for the ball and the Giants defensive backs were just completely unable to stay with them you know I saw that quite a bit particularly in the matchup between Terry McLaurin and James Bradbury and you know that Bradbury is a bigger cornerback and it can be tough for those guys to stay with quick receivers but even so it was that was a problem and you know it's been a problem through two games so far and yeah I'm not sure what the fix for it is you know maybe trying to be more physical and disrupt routes right at the line of scrimmage right in that first five yards before it becomes pass interference uh I don't think playing more zone coverage is the answer so this is something where you know I really hope Patrick Graham is taking this mini bye week and reevaluating the coverage scheme and the coverage shells that he is using and yeah how the various defensive backs fit into it and honestly maybe this this timing of of having a, a mini buy and playing on Thursday after week 2 could be beneficial for the giants we saw that happen last year when there was a little bit more time to kind of figure things out that was when they were able to make adjustments that were were beneficial for uh you know for both sides of the football so We'll see what happens. We'll continue to monitor, and we're going to be coming at you with a preview of the Giants' next game against the Atlanta Falcons. That is going to be a regular kickoff for that one, so stay tuned for that. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a five-star review to stay caught up, and then also go to BigBlueView.com for more Giants news and analysis. Talk to you later, folks. Enjoy the rest of your week. to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.